0: Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. If I were to ask for a show of hands, I would probably get hands popping up all over the place about someone who has either... Experienced depression, known someone who's experienced depression, had a family member experience depression, and so <clears throat> it is something that has that has touched a lot of lives, touched a lot of families, and I'm something I'm convinced the enemy uses to a greater degree, and is and, and is increasingly using to a greater degree um, with every generation. And so, <clears throat> are there some remedies to this? Are there some are there some biblical things we can grab a hold of and, and, and look at and, and, and chew on to say, here's how to deal with this? Here's what the Scripture. Well, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> in fact, the answer to the most questions in life, does the Scripture have any answers, is yes, it does. It's just a matter of our searching it out and applying it. Um, we're going to look today at, at some examples. Many of you probably didn't realize Moses experienced depression, but he did. Most of you realize Job experienced depression, and he did, and it was deep and severe, and we're going to look at that today. And see how how God led them through that and out of it. But as we've looked at um, this series of facing down your fears with failure and rejection, and natural disaster, and financial collapse, and serious illness, um, I had intended to 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 stop that series at the end of this month. I'm going to go one one month one week into March because the Lord has laid something else on my heart as a result of a conversation that Jerry and I had yesterday. Uh, we're going to look today at depression. We're going to look next week at loneliness. are going to look the following week, week at death. And then we're going to close with commitment. Wow well, commitment such a fear for, for many people in our culture. Well, here's some stats on depression. Everybody really, re, really pumped up to hear some stats on depression? Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. <clears throat> According to Healthline.com, Uh, which I've used before, and and they seem to be a very reliable source. One in ten people have experienced depression. As I say, if it's it's not occurred with you, it's occurred probably with someone you know, someone in and around your family. Um, Believe it or not, Tennessee is in the top seven states nationally for cases of diagnosed depression. Um, It most happens most prevalently in ages 45 to 64, and women are twice as likely as men to experience depression, statistically speaking. Here's the most staggering statistic, though. Between 2005 and 2008, and I couldn't get any later results than this, at least at this source, but between 2005 and 2008, the use of antidepressants increased 450% in those four years. So does that tell you we've got a cultural problem with this issue? We do. And are there some biblical remedies for it? There are. Uh, what I want to, here's, here, let me give you four observations before we dig into the scripture. These are observations from, from uh, my own experience in counseling and from, and from some from my friend Jim Cofield, some of you know, who's a, who has his doctorate in psychology and teaches psychology at Reform Seminary in Orlando. <clears throat> Depression most often falls into one or more of these four categories. One is it's situational. And by that, by situational, I mean it's circumstantial. It could be financial, it could be illness, it could be uh, loss. Uh, There's something that's occurred, something in our circumstances, something in our situation, usually outside of ourselves, that has occurred to bring depression on. Another uh, reason for depression is environmental. And what I mean by that is we've grown up seeing it. We've grown up either with a parent, a grandparent, a loved one, an aunt, a brother or sister, we've grown up in, in, in a situation where we've either seen that or, on the other hand of environmental reasons, is unrealized expectations. I can't meet what's expected of me. I never could. So consequently, my life heads toward depression because the expectations for me were, I've let somebody down, in essence. A third reason is chemical. Where there are chemical imbalances in the brain, chemical imbalances in the in the way the synapses fire in our brains and the n- neurons fire in our brains, uh, fortunately there are there are some treatments for that uh, now that are, that that doctors are 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 diagnosing, doing blood work. They're, di- they're being more diligent. Um, mental illness is still in our culture. Uh, A great deal is not, more is not known about mental illness than is known, sadly. But we're discovering more, and and I think we're fortunate for that. However, this this is the opinion of my friend Jim, too, and and kind of the the opinion of myself as I've experienced talking with folks over the years. His opinion is, and and this this is statistically backed up as well, that about 10% of depression cases are chemical. The other 90% are situational. They're environmental. Or this last reason I'm going to give you, and I think it's more prevalent. They're satanic. It's an attack of the enemy. It's, a, it's an attack of Satan. In fact, um, Job, you, you know the story of Job. Job, he, uh, Jesus says, have you considered my servant Job? And, 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 and Satan comes to Jesus <clears throat> and says, you know, look at Job. I mean, good grief. I mean, he's got everything. He's got beautiful kids. He's, he's, he's wealthy. He's got everything imaginable. His whole life is working. Look at his situation in life. He's the most blessed man alive. How could he not follow you? How could he? And, and Jesus says, okay, go after him. I'll give you permission. can't take his life. But up to his life, you go after him. Take whatever you want to away from him. And you know the story of how he takes his family away from him, and takes his resources away from him. His, 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 his whole place burns up, and he's sitting out on the ashes. Um, trying to figure out what's going on. And his wife comes out while he's sitting there and says, um, <clears throat> are you still, and this is, you'll see this in the first and second chapters of Job. His wife comes out and, 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 and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she says, are you still hanging on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Real encouraging wife, wasn't she coming out to the ash, she even saying, you still hanging on? Do you still hang on to your spiritual integrity? You think God's, you think God's for you? Why not you just curse God and die? I love Job's response to his wife. He said, "You talk like a foolish woman. You talk like you talk like you have no sense of, of what's going on." He says in, in, in response to that too, to follow up to say, "If God can be trusted in good, can He not be trusted in trouble too? Can He not be depended on and leaned on when things aren't working? When 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 life has crumbled in on me and, and my children are gone and my, and my cattle are gone and my circumstances are gone, and all I'm left with you, is this encouraging wife. Is He not? Can He not be trusted in?" In those times too, can he not? Well, we're going to address this today in terms of looking at three questions that are more prevalently asked about depression than any, and that is the, the what, the why, and the how. And in response to the what question, the what question is, <clears throat> is most often about how I feel. It's most often about my feelings. Looking. Psalm chapter 32, and I want you to see three or four verses here <clears throat> that deal with this. <clears throat> Verse 3 of Psalm 32, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning, or through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. In essence, he's saying here, the psalmist is saying, and we see, we'll see this in both cases with both Moses here in just a moment, and with Job, he's saying, <clears throat> my feelings have me feeling that God has abandoned me. I feel like my strength is gone. I feel like my situation is where I'm totally isolated, totally alone. And in about every case, especially where where Satan rears his head and, and he begins to, to to throw jabs and attacks, and begin to begins to ask you the same question he asked Job: "Where's your God? Why is your God not showing up to help you?" <clears throat> Is that, the, is that the relationship that you really want, that you really know? Is, that the, is this your God? Well, one feels isolated when they're experiencing walking in a, in a place of depression and alone and attacked when in reality, now, now the context of today's message, I probably should have pointed this out at the beginning, is the assumption that a person knows Christ. If you're here without Christ, <clears throat> some of this is going to apply to you. Um, but this is, this is actually more, more going to apply to, to believers, to people who know Jesus. If we, if we know him, and we, we, we are, the, Psalm 32 describes us here, I kept silent, my bones wasted away, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I, in, in essence, I feel abandoned. I feel alone. That's how we feel. And oftentimes the enemy wants us to focus on how we feel for a believer rather than what's real for a believer. Because what's real for a believer Joshua 1.5 says, I'll never leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. You may feel forsaken. You may feel left alone. But in reality, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always with you. Um, He describes himself to us as Psalm 46. One says, I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. I'm an ever-present help in time of trouble. When When things are sinking, when things are gone, when you've lost it all, I am the refuge. I'm the one you run to. I'm the one to. And I'm big enough for you to get mad at me and cry out and say, why did you, you let me come here? What's this all about? What am I supposed to see in all of this? <clears throat> and as we, as we walk in those places, though, boy, it's easy for us to listen to the enemy and say, why, why are you here? What did you do to deserve this? Why has God not shot? Why has God turned his back? That's seemingly what happens sometimes. Why has God turned his back on you? Why do you not feel His presence anymore? What happened to the joy of your salvation? What happened to walking with Him in intimacy? What happened to all of that? Where would that go? What happened? To, did God just leave you out here by yourself? And in reality, in reality, and this is reality. Our culture is lying to us, and the enemy is lying to us. But this book is reality. It tells the truth. And in reality. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never, in essence, I'm always with you. Wherever you go, there I am. We're going to look at some scripture a little more in detail about that in a minute. But trying to answer the what question, we can't focus on how we feel. We must focus on what is real. And what is real is he is always with us. He is our refuge, our strength. The why question, the why question is most often a lesson in futility. Um, Turn to Job chapter 3. I want you to see his, uh, you, you, you'll hear it coming through these verses here of Job chapter 3. Look at verse 20 with me. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for a hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Real encouraging so far, isn't it? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden from God, whom God is hedged in? For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, only turmoil. Here Job, he's wondering. And he's asking, why has this come upon me? Why me? What did I do? And and the answer to the question is he did nothing. In fact, he's a righteous and blessed man. And so the first question you and I should look at is, is not... What, what did I do to deserve this? Because there is no answer to that question. As I said, that's a, that's a question of futility. That's an exercise in futility to try and figure out what's all this about? What did I do? Did I, where, where did I slip? I've got a, I had to have slipped somewhere along this, this, this path. And God knew that, that Job's faith could take the test that Satan would throw at him. That's why he offers him up. He knew the, the, the sustenance of Job more than Job knew the sustenance of Job. And so he offers him up and offers Satan up. And, and here's what I want you to see out of this. Though it often has one, and as I said, it, it, sometimes it's situational. Uh, could be circumstantial, environmental. Sometimes could be chemical. It's always satanic. But though, though it, it often has one, depression doesn't need an opportunity. It just needs a window. It just needs a window for the, for the enemy to creep his way in. It doesn't need a reason doesn't need some kind of failure on your life. It doesn't need, now, now the enemy will point to that, Well, you screwed that up. And, and God's God never going to forgive you for that. I mean, you expect, and so he'll point out those little minute things from years ago. He'll point out thoughts we had, but here's the truth. It doesn't need a reason. Depression doesn't need a reason. All the enemy needs is, is just, a, just a sliver. If he can get a sliver, he'll work his way in and start, start feeding us with lies. He's a master liar. He's really good at it. And we believe it oftentimes, sadly enough. But he'll, he'll sliver his way in with a lie and, and, and wedge it open a little another lie. And before you know it, we're in a full-blown depression trying to figure out what in the world happened. I was doing okay. What happened? What happened is, is he caught a sliver and he, and he went, went through the sliver and began to, 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 to deal with us in, in falsehood instead of reality. Um, and I want you to get this. If you get nothing about depression, I want you to get this. It, as I said, it could be situational. It could be environmental. It could be chemical. But it is always, always satanic. It is always originated with the enemy. He is the very one who brings fruit to these kinds of things. He brings fruit to the situational things. He, he the, the, the situational things that happen in our life, whether, as I said, whether it's financial, whether it's loss, whether it's career related, whether it's whether it's relational, whether it's marriage related. He always elevates the situation to, to, to be more grandiose than it is. Look at what happened over here. Why did you not? Why did you look? <laughs> What kind of person are you? What kind of, what kind of person could God? You, you belong to him, and you think that way, and you allowed that, and you went there, and you said this, and you belong to him? And that's, the, that's exactly the way he works. It's a lesson in futility to try to figure out the why, because the why is he's out to seek. In fact, the Scripture says he's a roaring lion, describes him as a roaring lion, seeking someone to what? Devour, to eat up, to annihilate. In death, no, but wishing we were dead just like Job describes here in this passage. The enemy was all over him to the point that he longed for death. Death was a good news to him. That's how the enemy was on him so bad. So whether it is one or more of those other reasons, it is always satanic. And if you get that, you'll understand how, because this this latter part of this message is going to make greater sense to you. It it, it is always spiritual and it, it is always satanic. The answer to the how question, turn to Numbers chapter 11, and we're going to see the uh, jump from the example of Job here over to the example of Moses in Numbers 11. The answer to the how question is most often, most often circumstantial, most often circumstantial. And that's the situation here with Moses. Look at verse 10 of Numbers 11. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put a burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms and nurse as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on an oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? they keep wailing to me give us meat to eat i cannot carry all these people by myself the burden is too heavy for me for this is how you're going to treat if this is how you're going to treat me put me to death right now if i have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin now back up to verse 11 he asked the lord why have you brought this trouble on me now the word trouble in verse in, in verse 11 of hebrews 11 or of numbers 11 rather is a Hebrew word called rawah. That word literally, it's the closest word in Hebrew to depression. It actually means affliction or oppression. In essence, Moses is saying, I'm afflicted and I'm oppressed. And he says here, you, you'll see down in, in verse 14, I can't carry all these people. I can't do this. And to the point, I'm, if, this is, if this is my lot in life, if this is what I'm about, go ahead and kill me and let, let's be done with it. That's to the point Moses was. Well, Trouble uh, that he describes here is is usually most often circumstantial. It's most often environmental. It's most often things that occur around us that we allow the enemy to elevate to a greater significance than we should. And then we start looking at the circumstance instead of looking at the Savior. Looking at the situation that we're in instead of saying, okay, I've allowed you to be here for a reason. The reason is, as we looked at last week sometimes in, in serious illness, is the louder witness in serious illness God's divine healing? Or is the louder witness in serious illness peace in the midst of a hard place? Peace in the midst of it? Which is louder? Only God can answer that question because he knows the ripple effect of the decisions we make. He knows the ripple effect of the relationships we have. And so whether the louder witness in walking through a time of darkness and depression and, and, and oppression and affliction here as as Moses was, he knows whether the louder witness is... is healing, got him coming in supernaturally and and curing the thing and taking care of the thing, or whether it's the lesson that you and I learned in the midst of walking through that and trusting him and others seeing that very thing occur. Well, Moses here was more focused on his feelings than on reality. Because in reality, Moses, we're going to see this here in just a minute, the Lord gives him a plan for this. He gives him a, a solution for this in these verses following. But Moses had forgotten (laughs) <laughs> he, he starts seeing himself serious. I can't, I can't bear this load. I can't, wh- where am I going to get meat for these people? They want meat to eat. Where am I, I can't, I don't, I don't have the wherewithal to do this. And he's forgetting the fact that God gave him a rod that he threw down in front of Pharaoh and it became a snake. He's forgetting the fact that he went to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go or locusts is going to overtake the land. And Locust overtook the land. He forgets the fact that over and over and over again, God empowered his very voice to become a reality for Pharaoh and the Egyptians so that his people could be delivered. He forgot the power of God in his life. He forgot the influence. He forgot the call of God. And, he, and so God, God performs all those things for him, and he feels inadequate. I mean, the very time God calls him, I can't talk. You know me. I can't. I, I, I'm, I'm not a fluent speech. I'm going to stumble over myself. I stutter. Uh, God says, no, you're the one I want. Well, get Aaron. Aaron, Aaron's, he talks better than I do. He'll, he'll be more convincing. No, no, you're the one I want, Moses because i'm convinced of that because not only was was moses not skilled and gifted as an orator but i'm convinced of that because moses faith was incredible and god used an incredible faith to deliver his people more than he used the talent of someone who speaks well so he he goes in there with great faith and, and you know the story god does all these signs and wonders in front of pharaoh and pharaoh has enough lets the people go and moses forgot all of that he forgot the fact that he gets to the red sea and they're facing death because Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them. And you know the story. And God opens up the Red Sea. Moses prays. God opens up the Red Sea. And they walk across the ocean floor on dry land. He forgets the fact that God has, has brought these people out here into the desert. Into the desert. And dropping bread from heaven every night in the desert for them to eat. And they're, they're over it. I mean, that's, if you read these verses before we started reading here in verse 10, all these people saying, oh, we're so tired of the man. Oh, we're to and they forgot it as well. They forgot the fact that it's God who delivered them from Pharaoh. It's God who parted the sea. It's God who's feeding them every day and every night. And so they're out here complaining of, I don't have any meat to eat. We're out here in the middle of the desert. And so Moses sees all these circumstances, and he sees all this stuff that's going on around him, and he's overwhelmed by it. So rather than, rather than take a bite at a time to say, God can take care of this, and rather than look at some of these whiners and complainers and say, will you get over yourself? Will you just get over yourself? God's showing up every day and providing for you. Let me Look at what he's done. Look at what he did to Pharaoh. Look at what he did at the Red Sea. Do you, have you forgotten the fact that God's freed you from depression, from slavery? Come on, get over yourself. Enjoy the manna. If it's the rest of your life, it's better than you deserve. Get over yourself. He didn't handle those situations in snippets as they occurred. He allowed them all to, to kind of fester and build up over time. And so Here's, here's all these people coming to him. He, the, you see the story in verse 10. Everybody was, every family at the, at, the, at the entrance to their tent was wailing. Oh, we need some meat. We're so tired of the man. And a bunch of whiners out here, thousands, hundreds of thousands of them at the tents. And so Moses looked at the situation and he's overwhelmed by it. So rather than bite off a chunk at a time as it started to occur with a mouth, with, a, with an attitude, with a, with a man, with a woman, as it started to occur, he takes all this on himself. And he was never intended to bear it all in the first place. We're going, God's going to show him that here in a second. But he takes all this on himself, and then he's overwhelmed by all of it. He's overwhelmed by the circumstances. Um, the enemy was able to isolate Moses. Moses felt disconnected from the people, and because of his isolation, because of his disconnection, the enemy had him where he wanted him. He said, look at all this. You can't do this. I think God's turned his back on you out here. You're out here in the desert. I think he just led you out. In fact, this may be a joke. This may be just how far God can go to, to say, look at me, and I'm going to, I don't care about y'all, I'm going with somebody else. Could, could God be in any of that? Did he bring you out here to embarrass you? Boy, that's what it looks like. It looks like you're an embarrassment to all these people. How would God do that to a leader that he's called to do? Can you truly trust him? I mean, you can imagine all these things going on in Moses' mind that the enemy's feeding his mind with, and he's taking it, and he's believing all this junk because he cries out to God, I can't do this anymore. Take my life. I, don't want, I, I can't bear the burden of leading all these people. I can't, I can't carry all these people. In fact, he, he uses birth as an analogy. Did I, did I birth these people into existence? Am I their father? You're their father. I can't do all of this. You've put too much on me. Well, he got overwhelmed, got isolated, and, and started seeing the circumstances above what God had done. And we often do that. Depression has a way of doing that, causing us to look at the situation rather than looking at God in the middle of the situation. Is that hard to do? You better believe it is. It's really hard to do. None of what I'm talking about this morning is easy stuff. It's all hard stuff. It was hard for Moses. It was hard for Job. And guess what? It's hard for us too. But is that what God wants us to do? Absolutely. If we get overwhelmed at the circumstances and the situation around us, we'll never see God in the middle of it. We'll never see anything that he's up to. That's what he wants us to see. That's where I want to go here in how deliverance comes. Deliverance comes, first of all, in seeking God's plan. Now, drop down, we stop there at verse 15 of Numbers 11. Let's look at where God takes him here. After verse 15, let me face my own ruin, he says in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, verse 16, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. You know what God did there? He met Moses' anxiety. He met Moses' depression. He met Moses' frustration with a plan. I got a plan, Moses. Now, you, you could have seen this earlier because this plan is it has it's been here all along. These 70 guys have been around you the whole trip. Why are you just now getting overwhelmed? Why are you just, you just now bringing yourself to a place of, I can't bear this anymore. I can't do this. These 70 guys were around you the whole trip. They've got the respect of the people. I'm, I'm going I'm to let you hand pick them. You handpick the 70 that you know have the respect of the people and bring them in here. Why are we just now addressing this issue, Moses? They've been around the whole trip. Well, if we are always asking why, we'll never see what, the fact that God has a plan. And, and, and I think that's the greatest struggle of someone who's experiencing depression is realizing we serve, we looked at this last week a little bit, we serve a sovereign God. In other words, we serve a God that knows everything and is involved in everything. That's what sovereignty means. We serve a sovereign God. If that's true, then the situation we're in, whether, whether it's deep depression or whether it's mild depression, the situation we're in, he's totally aware of. In fact, as in Job's case and even Moses' case, he's either caused it directly as a consequence or he's stepped away and allowed it to occur himself. He's allowed the enemy room to say, okay, have at them. Let's see if their faith is true. And so if that's true, if, if we if we serve a sovereign God and he knows everything and he's in everything, then he's got a plan for where we are. He's got a plan for navigating this. And as I said earlier, it may be, the plan may be, I'm navigating this so people will see and understand what deliverance looks like. Or on the other hand, he may be saying, I'm, navigate, I'm, letting, I'm helping you navigate this, this depression with a plan to, to help people see what, what real, uh, just hanging on to me with a white knuckle grip when life doesn't make sense, what that looks like. Peace in the midst of a hard place. Peace in the midst of, of, of a place that I don't get, I don't understand, I'm mad about, I don't, and I'm still hanging on to God because I know he's the only one who knows if i see god has a plan it's far easier for a person and as i say i've i've done some counseling with folks in, in depression over the years and and it's that's a hard get that's a hard it's a, it's hard to get a person to see especially if, uh, it's impossible for an unbeliever but for many believers it's hard to get them to see god's got a plan in this he's not surprised by any of this <laughs> he's not standing back and saying wow i didn't i didn't didn't see that coming He knows exactly what's every step of the way of our life. Our days, the very hairs of our head are numbered. Our days are ordered by God, the Scripture says. He knows what's going on. If he does, he's got a plan for what's going on. The quicker we see that, the more assurance we can take away and say, okay, I'm not alone out here. I'm not alone anymore. God's he's up to something. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And there's probably a reason for that. I'd run as hard as I could from it. If I could see it and understand it today, I'd be so scared of it. I'd I'd bolt as quick as I he's got a plan and I'm going to walk with his plan even if it means walking, in, and here's hard even if it means walking into a darker hole than I'm in today wow is, could God be in something like that? You better believe he can be, why? Because he wants people to see, I'm at peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the hard place or he wants people to see when God delivers, he really delivers <laughs> he don't play around He knows. he understands what deliverance is about and when he delivers, he does it the right way Turn to Job chapter 42, um, and I want you to see a, a verse here, or a couple of verses here, verses 5 and 6 of Job chapter 42. This is at the end of Job's story, of course, and and he st- you, you know the story. Job's friends have come, and they've talked to him, and they're, they're supposed to be believers, <laughs> but, I mean, they just rake him over the coast. Come on, Job. I mean, you, you can't be serious about hanging on to God here, or or what have you done? Their message to him was was, from various angles, and, and none of them very encouraging, by the way. Um, so friends can, friends can be encouraging, but they don't have the answers when we're in depression. It's only God who does. But Job 42, verses 5 and 6, Job's kind of at the end of the story here, and he sees what's going on, and his, his response is this, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Wow. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know what Job realized? He realized that God is not just for us. This book from cover to cover tells us that God is for us. He has us. As we've looked at in Isaiah all the way through this study, I've got this, Isaiah 46, and I've got you. I've got the circumstances and I've got your life. God is for us. But Job realizes something distinctly in addition to the fact that God is for us, that God has a plan. In other words, he realizes that God is with us. He realizes Emmanuel. He says, I've, I've heard about you, and, I, and I've, known, I've really known you're there. I, 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 I've sensed things you've done. I've heard about you. Now I see you. I see you. I see who you are. I see how you work. I see that you've always been here. I see that when I've wondered where you are, you're, you're still there. I see I get all of that. He understood the presence of God. And that leads us to this second part of deliverance. Deliverance not only is seeking God's plan, but it's seeing God's presence. The greatest picture of this is in Psalm 139. Um, Turn to Psalm 139, if you will, and, and let's look at these verses together. Verses 7 through 10 say this, or ask this rather, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of a dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Where can I go? Where can I run from you? He says, the psalmist says, if I go to the depths, if I'm in the deepest hole of depression, if I'm in the deepest pit of my life, you're there. If I run to the far side of the sea, in other words, if I try and run from you as far as I can, regardless of where my mind goes, if I'm, if I'm at the other side of the globe, you're there. I can't run from you. I can't escape from you. If I'm in the pit, you're in the pit. If I'm in the far side, you're on the far side. If I'm, over, if I'm, if I'm chasing everything the enemy's given in front of me and I'm chasing him as hard as you're still there too. I cannot escape from you. You're there. You're present. Um, what is he saying in these verses? He's saying there's no depression dark enough. There's no pit deep enough. There's no circumstance that's hard enough, that's bleak enough to remove us from the presence of God. Nothing is, he says. So, and Job realizes this. He realizes this um, in those verses we looked at, forty, chapter 42. He says, I've heard about you. Now I've seen you. I understand the power of your presence. Not just the fact that you had a plan for all of this, but the fact that... I, There's no no place I could go to escape your presence. I didn't feel you. And in fact, I hadn't felt you for a long time. Maybe that's where you are today or where a family member is today. I can't feel God anymore. I don't feel him like I used to feel him. I don't, my my, my joy is gone or the emotion in my spirit is gone from my walk and my faith. and, And I just don't feel him anymore. Guess what? He's still there whether we feel him or not. He still has a plan whether we realize it or not. We are still in his presence, whether we realize it or not. Um, Job thirteen fifteen. 15, uh, you can turn there if you want to. Or but I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. <clears throat> Job says in, in, in thirteen fifteen, and he's talking about God, though he slay me, though he put me to death, yet I will still hope in him. In essence, if he brings my depression, if he brings my pit to the point of death, which is the deepest place I can go. If he brings my pit to the point of death, I'm okay with that. He slayed me. I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to belong to him. I'm still going to cry out to him. I'm still going to reach out to him because I know, and Job knew this. He, he, he was in essence answering, answering this question in this statement. Where is she going to go? Where is she going to go? To another relationship? To, to a bottle? To a pill? To a friend? Where, where are you going to go? Really, where else, where else can you turn to? When you when you, when you chuck it all down and, and and Job's very family here had all died, his wife basically has abandoned him and he thinks he's crazy out here. Where are you going to go when you lose all of that? The only place you can go to him. Sadly, that's what we re- most of us realize at the end of the trip. If we could get that at the first of the trip, when depression starts to have a seed in our mind and our heart, we start to see the enemy working just a little sliver and he's starting to work work his way in if we could see that there's no place I can go to escape his presence so he's here if he's here he's got a plan if he's got a plan I'm going to get in tune with his spirit because I know his word is for me I know his spirit is in me I can walk this road I can walk this road knowing he's got a plan for me I don't care how hard it gets I can walk this place knowing he's got a plan for me why because he's God and he knows what's best for me and I think I do And Job probably thought he did. I thought what's best for me was the cows on the hills and the goats in my family. No. What's best for me is to get to a place where I had nothing and realize he's all I had. And consequently, he's all I've ever needed. Now, the end of the story in chapter 42 is he restores his family. He gives him back children. He blesses him beyond beyond measure twice as much as he had before. Uh, materially speaking and job job in fact it's, it's turn there it's this is the way i want to this is the way I want to die um, <clears throat> turn to job chapter forty two and look at what he's what he says here um, in these last couple two three verses job chapter forty two the lord uh, verse twelve the lord blessed the latter part of job's life more than the first He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, all of that. Talks about his daughter in verse 14. Nowhere in the land was there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. Look at verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years. Watch this. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Great, 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 great grandfather. He lived to be that old. And so, verse 17, and so he died old and full of years. I don't know how about you, but I, I just I, I kind of like to die and see you know be, be a great 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 grandfather see all the kids running around and out in the yard and hey paps, come throw a ball with us, and you know that's kind of the picture I get of job's uh, of, of job's the end of job's life, and he says here, job I'm, I, when you realize that I'm all you ever had, you'll realize I'm all you ever needed, and job gets that he understands it, and God blesses him in abundance because of that, because he gets it. He sees the picture. He understands, wow, I, I may have thought I needed all of that. And I may have thought that's the way God shows up and blesses me, but it's not. Because when I had nothing, God still showed up and blessed me. He still showed up and helped me realize, I'm all. I, I'm, he's all I've ever needed, all I've ever wanted. Well, th- the solution here really is this simple. Now, applying it. It's a hard thing for a person in depression, and I won't won't admit to you that straight up. But the solution really is this simple. How do we face down the fear of depression? First of all, we never lose sight of his presence. And secondly, we never wonder if he has a plan. Never wonder if he has a plan. He always has a plan. Never lose sight of his presence. Why? Because he is always there. I'll never leave you. I will never, ever, ever forsake you. You go, if I lay down in the depths, you're there. If I'm on the far side of the sea, you're there. Wherever I go, you're with me. There's no place I can go to escape your presence. If I realize those two things, depression starts to have a purpose. And if I realize those two things, I can see that depression starts to have a season. This isn't going to last forever. This is just a season. And it's a season for God to show me something about himself that I never knew before. It's a season for God to show me something about himself that I would have never realized outside of the pit. The only place I could get it was in the pit. And so, though there's nothing great about the pit, and we all want to get out of the pit as quick as we can, there's a, there's something redemptive about that. If God shows us a part of himself that we never saw, unless we got there. There's no place we can go to escape him, to get away from him. I've shared this story with a few of you before, but... During the first year of leanne and i 's marriage, <clears throat> we had our first <clears throat> knockdown, down drag out fight. <clears throat> Nobody got knocked down drug out by the way it was it was verbal <clears throat> but we had our first serious fight, and so she goes this is most of this is occurring in the kitchen, probably as most fights do <clears throat> kind of a dangerous place for a fight because fight there 's pots and pans around so but anyway she she goes to the bedroom, gets out a suitcase, and starts opening up drawers and putting stuff in the suitcase. <clears throat> and I go, I follow her there to try and continue the argument, by the way, that, that I'm, I think I'm, I'm winning. And I see her putting stuff in the suitcase, and where are you going? I'm going to mom's. So we didn't have but one suitcase, by the way. So I grab a duffel bag, I grab a gym bag, and I start opening drawers and throwing socks down to wear and stuff. What do you think you're doing? I'm going to moms too. You're not going to moms with me. If you're going to moms, I'm going to your moms. Wherever we you're going there, I'm going there. We're not going to run from this. You can't get away from me. There's no place you can run to, we're going to work this out. We're going to agree to disagree about it, but we're going to work this out either here or at your moms. Which do you want to do? You're going to your moms? I'm going to your moms. You stay here, I'm staying here. That's the picture God wants us to get from Psalm 139. There's no place you can go away from me. You go to your moms? I'm at your mom's. On the other side of the sea, I'm over there too. Go to the pit. I'm in the pit. You go wherever you can think, wherever your mind can imagine. There's God isn't there. He wouldn't go there. He won't chase me over. Yeah, he will. He'll chase you to the deepest part of the pit. He'll chase you to the farthest place in your mind. He's that way. When I realize I can never get away from his presence, and when I realize he always has a plan for whatever he's doing, it's far easier for me to face depression realizing this is the season. This isn't the rest of my life. This is what God's doing in me today. And he may want to do to, as a witness to someone within my sphere of influence, there may be some ripple effect of my depression. It may be all about, less about me, and more about what people see of my God through me. When the times get hard. When things start happening, I don't understand. When, when relationships break down. When, when money breaks down. When, when, when job loss occurs. When death. It may be about people seeing me handle adversity and what God does in the middle of all of that. To me, and to them, I don't know. I don't know. I, those are, <clears throat> excuse me, those are answers God only knows. But I do know this. I know he has a plan. I know he always has a plan. And I know I can never escape his presence. So regardless of what life throws, if I know those two things, I've got a reason to navigate wherever I am. I've got a reason to keep pushing. Why? Because I know he's with me. And I know he's got a purpose to this. And if I feel alone, which is easy to do, if I just listen to the enemy, and if I feel abandoned and there's no reasoning behind it, which is easy to do because the enemy is a master liar, where's God? And he says, I'm here. I've always been here. I'll always be here. If you're have, if you dealing with that or you have friends dealing with that, please share some of these scriptures with them, but please live out in front of them. Do you know Christ? Then he's got a plan for you. Do you know him? Then, then, then he's with you. The scripture says... I'll never leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. There's no place you can go to get away. You can't go to mom's and get away from me. I'm at mom's too. I'm wherever you go. I'm here. Well, that should be great assurance to, to, a, to every believer. But certainly to ones that are walking through a hard place. So if you can, if you can breathe the word of encouragement to, to a believer who's walking in a hard place, breathe that into him. It's okay to hug on them and love them and, 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 and be a friend and walk through a hard place. But far greater to say something substantive. Far greater to say something that would change not only their circumstance maybe, but how they handle it and how people see it. And to the extent to which God gets glory out of all of that. Wow, that's what he wants to do. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.